The Gospel of John, chapter 3. Now, whenever I tell you to open your Bibles to John, chapter 3, immediately many of you think of what verse? John 3, 16. Probably one of the most well-known verses in all of the Bible, right up there with Psalm 23. I would guess Psalm 23 would probably be the most familiar Old Testament passage of Scripture, and probably John 3, 16 would be the most familiar New Testament passage of Scripture. Even people that don't go to church that much, or even people that aren't that familiar with the Word, even people that might not even consider themselves Christians have heard of and or are familiar with those two passages of Scripture. Now, there are some that haven't been, uh, that aren't familiar with, of course, but I mean a lot of people are. And particularly John 3.16. You know John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever would believe in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. Beautiful passage of Scripture, very powerful in its message, powerful to be able to use in our witnessing Powerful but to be able to use in ministering to folks. And even when that passage is taken out of its immediate context, and you know what I mean by that, that is just that verse all by itself. Don't read the verses before, don't read the verses after. Even out of its immediate context, it still means what it says and says what it means, and it is still very, very powerful. And it really is the gospel in a nutshell, if you will, in a sentence or two, or in a verse of Scripture. There is the gospel message of, from Genesis to Revelation. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever would believe in Him, and that word believe doesn't mean just believe stuff about Him, but would by your life you would believe. You would live in and with and for and through Him. You would believe in Him with your life. Whoever would believe would not perish but have everlasting life. Powerful passage of Scripture. But there is a context to it. Now the context doesn't change the meaning of it in this case. Oftentimes when you put a verse back in its context, the meaning does change. But doesn't change the meaning of it, but it does add a lot of beauty and a lot of power to it when you put it back in its context. That is, there are verses before this, there are verses after this verse, and that verse of Scripture, John 3.16, is included. It's a part of a conversation that Jesus was having with a gentleman by the name of Nicodemus. More about Nicodemus in, in a few moments. Folks, what God has put on my heart to share with you this morning is I want to share with you, in my opinion, probably one of the most common heresies proliferated by the Christian church today. I noticed when I used the word heresy, about 15 people went, what? What did he say? We preaching heresy? I want to say it again. That's a tough word, isn't it? That's a hard word. One of the most, in my opinion, you may have another opinion about this, but in my opinion, one of the most common heresies proliferated by the Christian church today. And by the Christian church, what do I mean? Oh, I mean some preaching, some teachings from some pulpits on television sometimes, some of the Christian channels. I hear other gospels and other uh, heresy along these lines. From the witness and testimony of people who sit in pews every Sunday but then get out in the community and say something else. What am I talking about? Well, as you know, the word heresy, that's a tough word. It's a strong word. It's a causes us to lift our heads say, what do you mean? But, but what it means in the simplest of its definitions, as you, as you know, the word heresy means an, an, an untrue belief or an untrue teaching that's presented as truth. An untrue belief or teaching, something taken out of context or something that, that perverts or waters down or changes the biblical message, in, in this case the gospel message, but yet it is presented as truth. Now, this heresy that I'm speaking of is not always presented from the pulpit or even on television or 
certainly not from people in the pew as we live in the world, it's often not presented in a very direct way of this is what I believe by gosh, but it's more of an indirect way. Something that's just subtly crept into our way of thinking, subtly crept into the way that we present the gospel, subtly crept into the way that we present salvation to other people. What is that heresy that I'm speaking of? Well, it can be worded in many different ways, and you might word it a different way, but it's something like this. Well, listen, I know that preacher talks about all that Jesus stuff and all that church stuff, and all that's wonderful. And man, if you've got Jesus and, you got, and if you're part of a church and you're all that, that's wonderful. But you know, now, but really, really, if you're... T- what it really boils down to is, is you, is you just, you just got to be, just be a really good person and surely, surely you're going to make it to heaven. Okay? Let me tell you how this creeps its way into our life. I deal with this a lot as a pastor, as a Christian. When we share the gospel with folks, when we tell people how to be saved, what do we tell people? You don't have to answer out loud. Just think for a moment. When somebody says to you, maybe you're working with somebody, and they say, hey, man, how can I have what you have? What what do you tell them? Now, don't answer out loud, but just think. Do we say, well, listen, you need to come on down to church with me. Man, you need to hear my preacher. I I, I know y'all all all say that, right? Well, some why are you laughing? (laughs) Um. Or, or, you know, well, you know, listen, come on down. If you get baptized, and, and then just be, a, you know, just live a good life. I, I mean, you, you, what, do you, what do you tell people? Here's what I'm confronted with a lot. Now, I'm not thinking of anything or anybody in particular, folks. I've been, I've been here 20 years. I've ministered to this community, thousands of people in this community, directly face-to-face, indirectly through radio and newspaper, hundreds and hundreds of people through these walls, thousands of people over the years through these walls. So please just hear me. I'm not here to step on a toe. I'm here to preach the Word. Let it fall where it falls, but just hear me. Brother Carl, now Listen. I know daddy or mama or sister or brother or my friend or my neighbor, whoever it is that we're burying today. I know that they didn't, you know, come to church, they didn't do all that Jesus, but really they were really, now now they were a good person. So I want you to tell everybody that daddy went to heaven today or mama went to heaven or sister went to heaven or brother went to heaven. Are you with me? You you, you know, I, I can't tell you how many times I get this tightness in my chest. As a pastor, I don't listen, folks. I don't stand up in funerals. Many of you have been to my funerals. I don't stand up and preach people into hell. I don't even preach them into heaven. I, I'm not God, but what I do, it is a joy to be able to preach the funeral of somebody who I know is born again and who loves the Lord and who has demonstrated that with their life. I still am not God. I still, that's between them and the Lord, but I know when someone has lived their life in a biblical way, it is a joy to be able to share with folks, biblically speaking, where they are. But I don't stand up and preach people into hell, but what I do at funerals is I, after I honor that person's life and memory, then I preach the gospel and tell folks that are there how to be saved. But it puts a big old knot in my chest. Because here's the thing. Now listen to me. Follow me. Because it's real easy for me in Milton, Florida, in the Bible Belt on a Sunday morning in a Baptist church, at Hickory Hammock Baptist Church, to proclaim the only way you're getting to heaven is through the blood of Jesus and through a born-again relationship. And everybody says, and we should. That's true. And we amen it, and I preach it, and we teach it, and you amen it, and we amen it, and then until... My friend dies. 
And when my friend dies, they're going to heaven because they were good. It's also easy for me to stand up here and say, folks, nobody gets to heaven just by being a good person. And we all say, amen, until daddy dies or mama dies or sister dies or brother dies. Now, preacher, now listen. Now, this, I, I, know, I know they don't believe just like you do, preacher. What they mean by that is, is I know they're not serious about, you know, what they want to say is they're not as fundamental and serious as you are about all this now, but, but you know they were really a good person, preacher, and you got to tell everybody they're with Jesus today. You see how we do this? Sometimes the actual preaching of the word is, is watered down. Sometimes the teaching of that word, I, you know, I hear it on Christian TV, and from time to time, and hear it from other pulpits, it's just kind of a, listen, come join the church, get baptized, uh, be as good a person as you can be. Uh, um, uh, every now and then tell people you believe in Jesus and, and you're saved. You're going to go to heaven. That is heresy. The word heresy is a tough, strong word, but it means an untrue or unbiblical statement presented as truth, but it is not within the confines of what the Word of God teaches nor what Jesus taught right out of his mouth. I know that, that, that really tougher than, than uh, you know, he, he can't, can't a good person go to, go to heaven, really the tougher question that people ask is, would God really send a good person to hell? See, that's the tougher way to ask that. You mean, okay, but I know they didn't come to church, and I know they didn't talk about Jesus all the time, and I know they didn't, you know, but they believed in God. I mean, he said, she said they, that they did, and, and I know they didn't, you know, they weren't baptized. They didn't do all that religious stuff, but they were a good person. Surely God wouldn't send them to hell. That's the way we ask it, and that's what makes it tough to our hearts and our minds. Right? Now, hold that thought. I'm going to answer all of that for you this morning. We're going to see from the Word, and then I'm going to just deal with you at a common sense level. Because it is important that we, the church, and those of us who are born again this morning, that we, in these trumpet days, that we don't water down the gospel, and that we're not guilty of leading people to hell thinking that we're patting them on the back, telling them they're going to heaven. We've got to be very careful about that, folks. In these last trumpet days of the history of the world, it will be easier and easier, the Bible says, for men to hold to a form of godliness or religion, but to deny the power thereof. See? To be real religious, but to never quite come to the power of what gets you into heaven. The Bible says as it gets closer and closer to the end times, there's going to be more and more of that in the Christian church and in the world. See, it's easy, us, it's easy for us to point our fingers at the heresies of the Da Vinci Code. It's easy for us to point our fingers at the heresies of the Gospel of Judas. It's easy for us to put, point our fingers at the heresies of the Gnostic Gospels that the, 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 that the Da Vinci Code was based upon. It's easy for us to point our heresies at that idiot teaching that Jesus really walked on a thin sheet of ice that day. And, you know, it's, it's easy for us to point our fingers and say, that's heresy, that's false, that's untrue. And the Bible doesn't say that. It's easy for us to do that. But I'm telling you, there is a far more serious and subtle heresy among Christians. And that is sometimes we do not 
clearly, truthfully present to someone the only way that they are going to get to heaven. But rather we water it down, we flower it up, and we convince people somehow in so many words that if you're just a, a really, really good person, surely God won't send you to hell. And I know I believe in all that Jesus stuff, but you don't have to believe in all that. Just be a good person and surely you'll be okay. Folks, that is heresy. Now, set that aside. We'll deal with it in a moment. We're going to talk about the Scripture, but I want to set it up first. We're going to look right at the Scripture. We're going to look at the verses before John 3.16. We're going to look at the verses after. We're going to see the part of the conversation that that was a part of, and we're going to see the conversation that that was a part of. But before we do, let me tell you about Nicodemus and Jesus. Nicodemus, as many of you know, but some of you are, are just new to this and new in the Scriptures and new to the Word, so y'all follow me now. Nicodemus, the Bible tells us, was a Pharisee. That is, he was a Jew. He was a teacher of the law. A Pharisee, the Pharisees and the Sadducees were the two, if you will, political parties among the religious. The Sadducees were a little more liberal. They, tend, they tended to revolve their activities around the temple. The Pharisees were a little more conservative. They tended to revolve their activities a little more around the synagogue and around the, the deciphering of the law and pulling apart the word into all the various idiosyncrasies of the law. They were known as teachers of the law. So you have the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Together they made up the ruling council or the ruling party of Israel. That is this. When we get to the New Testament times, we find that the Jews are under the authority of the Romans, the Roman Empire. Now the Romans had a very smart way of ruling the world. One reason they were able to conquer so many areas of the world and hold control of it for hundreds and hundreds of years, one of their philosophies, of course, was to post their military there, which was the most feared military in the world, but also one of their philosophies on day-to-day -day life was that they allowed the people, for the most part, to live their lives as they were before they were conquered. Now, they would come under Roman authority and they would have to pay taxes to the Roman government. We read about those taxes and tax collectors and the taxation in the New Testament and how much the Jews hated that. But pretty much they lived their Jewish life. You know, they went to their temples, they went to their, they went to their temple, they went to their synagogues, they read their scriptures, they kept the laws, they kept their dietary laws, they did all their little rituals and things like that. And they were even, the Romans even allowed them to rule themselves, particularly in the civil slash religious affairs of their day. Now, they couldn't rule themselves in criminal law. Thus, when they wanted to put Jesus to death, the Jews had to get permission from who? Pilate who represented the Roman government. Okay? Everybody clear? But prior, but other than that, they were able to bring Jesus in for trial. They were able to try him on religious slash civil affairs. And then they trumped up some criminal charges. And remember insurrection? They said he was claiming to be king. He was going to take over the throne of the emperor. And so they took him to Pilate and said he claims to be king of the Jews. And that's what got Pilate so interested in it and got Rome interested. But prior to that, they weren't interested at all because they allowed the Jews to rule themselves civilly and religiously. Is everybody with me so far? I'm not boring anybody yet because this is all context. This is very important. Okay? So Nicodemus was one of these guys. He was on this ruling council. This Sanhedrin is what it's called in other places in the New Testament. He was one of these highly respected, very powerful men among the Jews and yes, even in the Romans. The Romans respected these leaders of the Jews. They depended upon them to help them keep the peace. So Nicodemus was a 
was a good man of his day. He was religious. He knew the Word of God. He knew the laws of God. He kept the laws of God. He was in synagogue every time the, day, the doors were open. He was at the temple a lot. He did his sacrifices. He did his rituals. He did his prayers. He did his tithing. He did everything that the law required of him. He was a good, religious, solid, citizen, law-abiding man. And the Bible says he went to Jesus at night. To speak to him. Now, I just thought I want to give you a little lanyap. For you Cajuns, you know what that means. A little something extra. A little lanyap. I want to give you a little something extra. I, it's, it's always amazed me when we get to this passage. It says there, it says, Now, Nicodemus was a Pharisee and a member of the Jewish ruling council, and he went to Jesus at night. It says that. And we're going to read this in a moment. But it says that. And I know a lot of people have speculated, why did he go to Jesus at night? And somebody asked me, Pat asked me, why did he go to Jesus? I don't know. That's good. Thank you, brother. You're so good for doing that. I appreciate that. Do you have a clue why I went to see Jesus at night? Well, maybe he was curious. Well, see, okay, that's what most people say, and that's, that's a good possibility, okay? There's another possibility, and see, I always try to look at the positive things. What if Jesus and Nicodemus had just had a long day, and Nicodemus just went to him at the earliest possible convenience? He couldn't wait till tomorrow morning. Is that a possibility? Yeah a possibility. I'm going to give Nicodemus the benefit of the doubt and just pretend like that's what it was. No, we don't know. It could be, could be, and a lot of people preach it and teach it this way, that he was afraid, you know, because Jesus was gaining popularity and the Pharisees didn't quite know what to think about him yet. Now, later on, the Pharisees would come to hate him and would come to try to kill him. And later on, it would be particularly dangerous to show up in Jesus' company if you were a Pharisee or a Sadducee. At this early moment in Jesus' ministry, though, it wasn't quite so dangerous. But it could be that Nicodemus was a little embarrassed, maybe a little afraid to kind of be seen with him publicly. To, you know, what would the others think? I'm glad we don't have to worry about that today, aren't you? Now, what would the others think if they saw me with him? Could be. It could be that Jesus was just surrounded by crowds all day long. Could be that he'd had a long, busy day of healings and teaching and miracles and, and Nicodemus couldn't even get near him. It could be that the crowds had finally thinned out and, and Nicodemus, rather than waiting till tomorrow and taking a chance he could never get to him again that day, just went to him. It was nighttime by the time everything settled down and calmed down. For whatever reason, we don't know, the Bible doesn't tell us, but Nicodemus went to Jesus at night. And he makes a statement to Jesus. He says something like, you know, good teacher, we know that you must have come from God because nobody could do the things you're doing. And Jesus, rather than really addressing that statement, he just gets right to the heart of the matter. He just almost ignores what Nicodemus says. But really, the reason is, he wasn't being rude, it's because he knew where Nicodemus was going with this. See, God knows your heart. He knows the words. He knows the intention of your heart before you even speak, the Bible says. And he knew that Nicodemus was going to kind of beat around the bush here for an hour and a half, you know, and, 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 and basically was going to get to the question of how can I have what you have? How can I have this kingdom of God you're talking about all the time? How can I enter the kingdom of God? I'm a ruler of the religious. I'm a teacher of the Jews. I want to know too. Show me how I can do this. And rather, but rather he starts off by, by complimenting him, kind of smoothing him up a little bit. Now, teacher, we know that you've come from God because, I mean, nobody could. And Jesus just said, Nicodemus, let me just get right to the crux of the matter. And then he does. All right? Do y'all have that context? 
Now let's read it together in its context and let's listen to what Jesus says. John chapter 3, beginning with verse 1. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. That immediately tells us he was good, he was religious, he was well-respected, and he was powerful. Verse 2. He came to Jesus at night, and he said, Rabbi, which is the Jewish word for teacher, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. And, and the Bible doesn't say this, but I think, and, and he was drawing his next breath to say his next few words of smoozing. <laughs> when Jesus just interrupted and said, Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, Nicodemus. I'm going to add the word Nicodemus in here a lot. It's not in the Bible, but that's, he's talking to Nicodemus. So just to keep your mind focused on that this is a conversation, I'm going to add that word, okay? I tell you the truth, Nicodemus. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is a really, really good person. How many of y'all caught that? Is that what your Bible says? Then why do we present it that way to people? Why do we want to make our pastors feel like they got to preach our loved ones and our friends' funerals a different way than what the gospel says? Why, why, why do we sit at work with people and never tell them really how to enter the kingdom of heaven? Jesus said, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he comes to church a lot and really likes Brother Carl's sermons. <laughs> see, if I were writing the Bible, that's the way I would have put it. <laughs> but I didn't write the Bible. <laughs> I didn't say these words. Okay, let's look at what Jesus really says. I tell you the truth, Nicodemus, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he gives lots of money in the offering plate and follows the Lord in baptism and joins a Baptist church. Doesn't say that either, does it? Dang, this Bible's just stomping all over the way we do things, isn't it? In reply, Jesus declared, Nicodemus, let me tell you the truth, Nicodemus. No one, how many is no one? Zero, thank you. I heard somebody go, zero. <laughs> zero can see the kingdom of God, Nicodemus, unless... He is born again. Amen? Amen? Now, we're going to get to what this means in a moment. And, and, you know, what does it mean to be born again? And how can I be born again? But more importantly, you mean to tell me God would send a good person to hell? Now, now folks, you know the answer to that. And we can all say it. But how do we deal with it out there? 
How do we deal with it when mama dies, when daddy dies, when husband dies, when wife dies, when child dies, when friend dies, when next door neighbor dies, when a good friend dies? How do we deal with it when we're witnessing to mama, to daddy, to a good friend, to a next door neighbor, to a, to a co-worker? How, how do we do Do we look them in the eye and say, listen, unless you're born again, and let me tell you how to be born again, you're not going to enter the kingdom of heaven. Or do we accept the fact that they're a good person and they go to church every now and then and they believe in God? See, you don't have to answer out loud. But do you see how this heresy gets promulgated among the Christian people in the Bible Belt? Jesus said, I didn't say this, folks. We Christians sometimes get picked on for using it. You know, you hear the secular news and they talk about when they use the word born again, they almost spit it when they say it, don't they? Well, so-and-so says he's born again. <laughs> you know, like we Christians made that word up. Like we Baptists invented that phrase of born again. Who said those words, y'all? Who invented those words? Who, who introduced the concept and the idea of being born again? Jesus did, right? Not your old crazy, fundamental, crazy Baptist preacher down here. <laughs> Jesus did. He says, I tell you the truth, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom. All right, now keep going. Verse 4, how can a man be born when he's old? Nicodemus asked, surely he can't enter into his mother's womb a second time, can he? Now, folks, look at me. We laugh when we see that. We say, how can Nicodemus be so stupid? Folks, 2,000 years we've had to understand it. Nicodemus was hit with it the first time. He was, a, he was a man. He was in the flesh. He was in the physical. He dealt with black and white, with laws, rituals, rules, regulations. Jesus is talking about something purely spiritual. Nicodemus' mind hadn't even gone there yet. He said, you've got to be born again. That's the first time he'd ever heard the phrase, that word, that concept. And Jesus would explain it to him. But his first thing was, how can I get back my mother's womb and come back out? I'll bet you when Nicodemus said that, Jesus went... <laughs> Thank you, baby. I, I just now the Bible doesn't say that, y'all, and I hope I'm not being too flippant here. But I just I I can't imagine that Jesus stuck his finger back in his face and man, let me tell. I imagine when Nicodemus, how can I get back in my mother's womb and put this image in Jesus's mind? And he kind of went, No, Nicodemus, that's not where I was going, man. Because after Nicodemus says that, let's. Listen to what Jesus says. Jesus answered him with a smile on his face. No, I, I said that. I, I, Nicodemus, I tell you the truth. No one, how many is that? Zero. Can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the spirit. Now, born of water means in the fleshly way. Born out of the womb, out of the sack, out of the, the fluid, out of the water. Born and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, Nicodemus. But the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. Nicodemus, you should not be surprised at my saying that you must be born again. How many times does Jesus say this? You must be born again. How often do we not say that when we witness to somebody? You must, he says, don't be surprised when I say that, verse 8, because the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear it sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone who's born of the Spirit. Y'all look at me for a moment. Jesus uses a wonderful illustration. He uses the illustration of the wind. I will often ask this question in crowds of folks. I won't do it to you because I don't want to embarrass anybody. How many of you have ever seen the wind? And hands will go up, you know, and I say, no, none of you has ever seen the wind. You have not seen the wind. You have seen the effects of the wind. You have seen the results of the wind. 
You can see the power of the wind, but you cannot see the wind. Why? It's invisible. But is it real? That's not a trick question, y'all. <laughs> is it real? I know, I know I'm freaking you out. Y'all don't even know how to answer my questions anymore this morning. But is the wind real? Yeah. How many of you have ever, don't, answer, don't raise your hand, have ever seen electricity? No, no, you don't see electricity, not in the common sense. Most people don't see electricity in the common sense, but we do see its power. We do see its results. We do see its effects. It's invisible, but is it real? Is it a real power? Is the wind a real power, a real force that changes things? Yes. Do we see it? No. Do we see its power, its effect? Yes. That's what Jesus was telling Nicodemus. Nicodemus, when God moves through his spirit, it is invisible. The spirit is working even now, right here in this place. None of us sees him with our eyes, but he's working in the hearts and minds of people right now. He's working in power. He is changing and will change people's understanding, people's perspective, people's lives this morning. We don't see him, but if those changes take place, we see the results of it, right? We see the power of it, right? We see the effect of it, right? So that's a good illustration Jesus used, didn't it? You'd almost think he was like God or something. <laughs> All right, keep going. Verse 9. Nicodemus is still struggling with this. He says, but, but teacher, how can this be? Nicodemus asked. Verse 10, a lot of preachers present this as though Jesus had his finger in Nicodemus' face here. I don't think so. I think Jesus kind of smiled when he said this. He said, you are Israel's teacher, Nicodemus, and you do not understand these things? Now, that was pretty profound. How responsible we are, folks. You know what we are? Those of us that are born-again Christians, we're the world's teacher of spiritual things, of true things regarding heaven and hell and life and death and eternity. We are the world's teacher. And we don't understand these things? Will God send a good person to hell? Why would he send a good person to hell? How can he send a good person to hell? Being a good person in and of itself is not enough to make it to heaven. Believing, about, believing Jesus is not enough. Coming to church is not enough. Being a good person is not enough. Come on, preacher. You mean you really got to get into all that Jesus stuff and all that church stuff or you're going to go to hell? We are the teachers of the world and we don't understand these things? Are you with me? That's what he asked Nicodemus. You're, you're, you're a teacher? You're a teacher in Israel, Nicodemus, and you don't understand this important foundational spiritual truth that a person has to have God do something in their life before they can enter into the kingdom of heaven? All right, let's keep reading. So, so verse uh, 11, I tell you the truth, Jesus says, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we've seen, but you, you people still do not accept our testimony. I've spoken to you of earthly things and you don't believe. How will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? Nicodemus, no one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. And he's talking about himself. Then he gives another illustration from the Old Testament. Just as Moses lifted up the snake or the serpent in the desert, the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him might have eternal life. There it is again. you got to have this belief, this life belief to, to live again. Now, folks, many of you understand that Old Testament illustration Jesus just gave, but for the newer students in the Word, here's what all that gobbledygook means. Just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so, so, so. Here's what it was. Nicodemus immediately understood it. 
he was a teacher of that word. He was a teacher of what we now call the Old Testament. He understood that illustration immediately. That's why Jesus used it on him. Because Nicodemus knew and understood and remembered the teaching of when the children of Israel came out of slavery, out of Egypt, they were into the wilderness, they were following Moses, and they were out there wandering around getting ready to go into the promised land, and then they began to grumble against God and began to shake their fist in God's face because everything wasn't going just right for them. Aren't you glad we don't do that now, y'all? And they shook their face, their fist in God's face one too many times, and God, the Bible says, yes, God sent a plague. Yes, that's another whole sermon. And the plague was snakes. That's freaky. And the people got bit by the many poisons. Many, many thousands died. And the plague kept going. And the people were panicking. And they began to say, we want to turn. We're sorry, God. <laughs> I think I'd say that too. And God says, well, saying sorry isn't just enough. He says, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to ask you to take a step of faith. I'm going to ask you to do something that's going to sound really silly, but it will heal you. Now, y'all listen to me. Please hear me. Hope this isn't boring to you. Listen to me. Here's what he told Moses. He said, Moses, make a bronze image of the very thing that's killing my people. Put it on a, I'm going to substitute the word cross, if you will, a pole. Hold it up high so the people have to look up at it and ask them to say they're sorry then. Make them look at the thing that's killing them. Make them look up and say, I'm sorry. He says, all who will look up will be healed. All who don't will die in their sin. You get it? Jesus told Nicodemus, he said, in the same way the Son of Man will represent your sin. Oh, more than represent, he will become your sin. And he will be lifted up on a pole, this time a cross. And just going around saying, I'm sorry, God, I'm sorry, God's not enough. But you've got to say, while looking at Jesus, I'm sorry, God. Please forgive me. My sin is upon your back. Please forgive me. I surrender my life to you. I give my life to you, Jesus. And at that moment, the Bible says, the Spirit of God enters into you and births you again from the inside. Can you see it happen? No. But as a born-again believer, you know when it happens. And your life begins to take on that power and people see and you see the effect of the Spirit moving in your life. Amen? See, that's what Jesus told Nicodemus. He says, just like Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so, so, so must the Son of Man be lifted up and all who look on Him will believe. All who believe will live forever. Now keep reading, keep reading. So, he says, verse 16. Let's go back to verse 15. That everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. Because Nicodemus, God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world, Nicodemus, to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he's not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. And Nicodemus, here's the verdict of the world. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. So everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. Amen? 
There's the context of John 3.16. Boy, that puts a whole new light on it, doesn't it? No pun intended. You can always tell when you say, folks, that was supposed to be a joke. If you have to say that, it was not very funny. <laughs> that was supposed to be a joke. Okay, no pun intended. That puts a whole new light on it, doesn't it? John 3.16. Now watch. John, excuse me, Nicodemus comes to Jesus. And he says, I know your teachers come from God. And nobody could do. Folks, let's not be too hard on Nicodemus. Nicodemus was doing his job. He was a religious leader of Israel. He was a Pharisee. He had been in the presence of Jesus. Obviously, he had seen him work some miracles. Obviously, he had heard him teaching about the kingdom of God and the way to be saved. He had heard these things. So he comes to Jesus to check him out. He's obviously moved in his heart and stirred in his heart because he has words of compliment and praise for him. He doesn't come threatening him. He doesn't come condemning him. He doesn't come trying to trick him. He comes to him. He's doing his job. But at the same time, he has a sincerity about him. Jesus just cuts right to the heart of the matter. And he says, Nicodemus, look, I know where you're going with this. You want to know how to get to this kingdom of God that I've been talking about and, and, and that I have been de demonstrating with my miracles. I know that's what you're getting to. So let me just answer the question for you, Nicodemus. Nobody, not even you, a good, religious, upright, powerful, upstanding citizen in the community, nobody, how many is nobody? And the little, the little boy or the little girl, whoever it was, said, zero. Nobody, nobody, Nicodemus, will get to the kingdom of heaven unless he's born again. Now let's just cut to the chase, Nicodemus. That's where you were going. Nobody will get there unless he's born again. Now, how is one born again? Well, the answer to that is simple. Now, doing it is not quite so simple for everybody. The answer is by calling upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and believing in Him. Whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ shall be saved. What does that mean? It doesn't mean, oh, I believe in you, God. Well, folks, <laughs> the Bible says demons believe in God. Okay? That's not what that means. What it means is a bowing of the knee, a bowing of the heart, a bowing of one's life, saying, Jesus, you're God, I'm not. You died on the cross for my sins. You came out of the grave alive. You are God in the flesh. You are the only way. You are the God and ruler of the universe. Jesus, please save me. I want my life to count for you. Please come into my life. I will serve you with my life. And the Bible says when your prayer is something like that, when your heart is like that, that is a biblical contextual understanding of believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible says you will be saved, you will be born again, the Holy Spirit of God comes into your life and begins to work in your life, and then your life comes into the light, and you begin to walk in the light, and your deeds show that you have been touched by God. Your life doesn't automatically become perfect, it's like I tell people all the time, it's not perfection that God's looking for, but it's direction. The direction of your life changes. The direction of things that matter in your life change. The direction of what you desire to do with your life changes when you're born again. Is everybody with me so far? Now watch. So the question is, just being a good person can't get me to heaven? Would God tell a good person, you can't come to heaven? Let me give you an illustration that I think will help you. And we're going to close here in a moment. This is very, very important. I think this will help you. Because I'm telling you, folks, this is a, this is a misspeaking that the church does a lot. 
It is not a correct teaching. It is, it is a heresy that we are involved in a lot in the way we say things, the way we speak to people about their relationship with the Lord. It is not enough, sadly. It is not enough to just be a good person. One must be, according to Jesus, born again. And you know what I praise God for? You can be an evil person and be born again. And or you can be a good person and be born again. Will God save a wicked man? Yes. Will He save a good man? Yes. How does He save them? The same way. You come to Jesus and say, Your Lord, please come into my life and save me. And then you're born again. But let me give you an illustration. All right? Let's pretend like for just a moment that there is a man here who, who lives in a neighborhood. He's got a wife and a son. Next door to him, another man moves in with his family. And so the two live next door to each other, and they live next door to each other for months. And over the weeks and months that follow, they get to know each other. And this man here begins to get involved in the life of this man here. And he finds out that this man here is a very good man. He finds out from him and his friends, and by observing his wife, that he's a wonderful husband. He's a tremendous provider. He loves and treats his wife and his family with honor and respect, and they love him, and he loves them. Um, he is, a tr he is tr tremendously respected and trust and honored at his job. He is known as a man of integrity and respect and values. He is a moral man. Never has this man heard a filthy word come out of this man's mouth. Never has this man heard this man talk about anybody in an ugly way. Never has this man heard this man tell a lie. He begins to get involved in this man's life and finds out through his own admission and through his friend's testimony that this man has never cheated or fudged or lied on his income tax returns. Aren't you glad we don't make that a requirement for membership in a Baptist church? <laughs> Why, some of y'all are laughing real nervously now. I mean, as he looks at this guy, I mean, you know, obviously the man's not perfect because no human can be perfect, but he looks at he's never broken a law. He has never even received a parking ticket. Good job, good man, moral man, clean mouth, clean living, good husband, good citizen, not a lawbreaker. He's a good man. Does everybody understand this man is a good man? Probably he's better than any man or woman I've, I've just described that's sitting here today, including me. Okay, you don't have to say amen to that, brother. You see, you waited till I said including me before you said it. All right? But can we all agree this is a good man? Everybody with me? And here's this man watching all this. Then one day, now I'm going to put myself over here for just a moment to make it a little easier to talk about. You can put yourself there or however you want to do it, but watch this illustration. Then one day, old Carl's over here, see? And we'll call him John. Old John's over here now. Just, just almost perfect. Just a good man in every way. And John comes over and talks to Carl. And he says, hey, Carl, so we've known each other for months now. And he said, I've got a proposition. He says, I, I, I want to be best friends with you. Man, I, I, I want us to go hunting together. I want us to go fishing together. I, 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 I want us to cook out in the backyard. I mean, every Friday, so we're going to cook out in the backyard. We're going we're gonna to fellowship together. We're going to be best friends. And I'm listening to this guy, and I'm looking. There's nothing about him that would want me to say no about that. I mean, when I just look at his life. But then he says, but now there's just one little condition, Carl. What's that? <laughs> you know, Carl, I can't stand your wife or your son. 
But now I want to be able to come in and out of your house whenever I want to, and I want us to be best friends, and I want us to have this great relationship, <laughs> but I really can't stand your wife or your son. Now, folks, listen. At that point in time, nothing about this man's goodness has changed. Nothing. He's still the husband, the father, the pa -pa 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 -pa. he's all those things. Never cheated on his tax, never cursed, never. He's still a good man. But at that point in time, he has ceased to become good in my eyes. And at that point in time, our relationship has drastically changed. And at that point in time, he probably would not be allowed back in my house at all until we got those other things squared away. Does everybody understand that? Don't you kind of feel the same way I do about it? Well, if we're allowed to make a decision like that, why can't God, who has created the universe, when little old us stand over here going, look at me, look how good I am. Now, I can't stand your son, and I can't stand your bride, which is the church. I can't stand that. But God, I want to be best friends with you, and I want to be able to come into your kingdom whenever I want to. What do you think God's going to say to that? Uh-uh. What's the door to getting into God's house? You come through His Son. You come and you kiss the ring of the Son, then you come in the house. Amen? All right? Now, you say, but I'm a good person. And God says, I don't care. But I've never broken a law. God says, I don't care. You mean I can't come into your house? No. I ought to be able to come in anytime I want. Try it and you die. I mean, do, do you understand? How, how much simpler can we make it? But that's not fair. I don't care. But it's really not fair. I made the rules. I know what? I'll come through Allah. <laughs> Allah don't live here. <laughs> Tell me, do you understand? <laughs> I'll come through Muhammad. <laughs> he lives with Allah. <laughs> it's real hot there. I mean, I mean, how much clearer can we make? This is just a human illustration. If you wanted to, you could pick it apart. But it, it, it is, I mean, Jesus used two human illustrations with Nicodemus that day. He quoted the Old Testament. He talked about the wind. So I'm using a human illustration with you. Folks, it doesn't matter how good we are. Will God send a good person to hell away from his house? Yes, if that good person says, I hate your son and I hate your wife. 